0: You're listening to Brave Girls with Tracy M., where we choose to empower you to be a better leader, mentor, and coach in the world. We'll share stories of people who have achieved great heights by overcoming adversity and rising to the challenge, all while pursuing their passions. These courageous people will inspire you to have faith in yourself and take bold action. Right here with the host of Brave Girls, Tracy M. Episode 70, The Final Eighth, with Bridget dangle gaspard Today's Brave Girl is Bridget dangle gaspard a licensed social worker and creativity coach living in New York City that's also appeared as a SAG actress on the daytime soap opera A Guiding Light, and she's also done stand-up comedy. Bridget's energy is contagious, and it comes across in the interview as she shares her story and what she's focused on teaching the rest of us. She's an expert in voice dialogue and she explains how she uses this framework in her private practice and to even help her with her auditions. Bridget shares with us what voice dialogue is and how it can be used on your personal transformational development path. She's an active workshop presenter and teaches social workers, nurses, coaches, body workers, mental health practitioners, psychologists, psychiatrists and others. We also talk about how so many of our beliefs and habits are formed in our subconscious before the age of seven, or even in utero, and why we need to interrupt the patterns and pay attention to our self-talk. Bridget's book, The Final Ape, is scheduled for release next year. She coined this term as she watched her talented, energetic, and motivated clients stall in front of their finish line for no good reason. The final eighth refers to the transformational process of taking the steps necessary to complete a project, finish a goal, realize a dream, love yourself and flourish. I love that Bridget has uncovered this phenomena and that she's put it into a book form for high achievers to better understand what makes them stop before the finish line. So let's go and learn all about voice dialogue and the final eighth with Bridget dengel Gaspard. So welcome to Brave Girls with Tracy M. Today, I have Bridget Gaspard with me, and she's based out of New York City. She's a licensed social worker, and I was referred to her by Lisa McCall, who, if you recall, she was on episode 31 of Brave Girls on being human, and I had met Lisa at the Baltimore Book Festival, and when I had my guest on, I always ask them to refer me to some other brave girl that they think would be an interesting guest, and Lisa referred me to Bridget. And Bridget is an expert in inner voice dialogue, and she's created a whole body of work around that in her her work. And she's also a SAG-AFTRA actress who was on Guiding Light and a writer. So she's got a lot going on up there in New York City. And I just want to say welcome to the show, Bridget. Thank you. It's really great to be here. Yeah. So tell us more about what Inner Voice Dialogue is and how you kind of came to develop this methodology and framework and structure around what you teach other, I guess, uh, therapists and social workers and and others um, about. Yeah, absolutely. It's yes. but And also people who just
1: want to have personal growth. Um, And in fact, Lisa, took my uh, voice dialogue training because it's really a phenomenal technique and i didn't create it my mentors are hal and sidra stone and they're a married couple they're psychologists and they created since the 1970s and beyond and the premise is that we all are composed of different selves this is a healthy personality and and so that's so with voice dialogue you actually dialogue with different aspects of yourself different Subpersonalities. We use all those words interchangeably. The idea being that every single self, no matter how dysfunctional, has a noble purpose, which is your protection, protecting your your vulnerability. And so, what happens also is that we limit who we think we are. We call that our primary self system. So, if I am completely identified with being dependable and responsible and very very pleasing and um, focused on making other people happy. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that's all I'm having access to, then that's a very limited life. Because there's a downside, of course, to pleasing everyone, just like there's an upside to having an inner critic. And a vicious inner critic is devastating. But a good inner critic is like a good editor, it says, hey, you have a standard, let's meet that standard. That would be an inner critic that wasn't poisonous. It so just reminded you, if you made a commitment to arrive on time and you're running late, it's not an inner critic being mean if it says, hey, you know, drop that phone call because you need to get in the car and go. And so we talk a lot about communication like as energetics. So an inner critic that talks with a terrible tone of voice and snarls, that is a, a what we might call a toxic inner critic. So in voice dialogue, you keep all of yourselves because we couldn't get rid of them anyway. And they all have gifts and they all have stings. And then you get a direct relationship with them and you understand what the gift is. And also you get to kind of dance with your different parts and decide what should lead and what should fall back depending on the situation. And I sometimes think voice dialogue has a very boring purpose, which is more conscious choice boils down to that, but think of the freedom and liberation and having literally more conscious choice about anything, including doing nothing. Because we have a lot of do ourselves, especially here in New York City, do, do, go, go. And so it could be disowned. It could be very hidden, this part that just wants to be a beach ball.
0: Right, right. Yeah, I didn't realize that you could have a good inner critic. I guess I had always thought that the inner critic has is, is always got to be toxic. Um, or beat, you, beat yourself up, you know, like, oh, here I go again. I'm stupid, and I didn't show up one time. Or,
1: Right. So, no. We, well, the other thing we teach with voice dialogue is that all of ourselves have teachers, and many of them are our early caregivers. So they think those early rules still apply. And actually, when I work with people moving into, like, bigger roles, which I know you do as well, Sometimes they get devastated when I'm like, look, you're a very hard worker. Your work harder selves are actually not going to get you the promotion. You need to be more open to socializing or these other things that are maybe are scary to a client. So the same with an inner critic, it's only toxic in its delivery method. The inner critic wants you to do well. So if you had a really, uh, if, you were, if your inner critic took in some really sharp messages, say from teachers and parents, it's going to treat you that way. But really, even those teachers and parents wanted you to not fail, wanted you to not be abandoned. And so that's how we look at it. Sometimes I think a voice dialogue is a detox. Hmm. So you get to keep the assets because a good editor, as you know from writing yourself, is, is wonderful to have on your team. But you can't start with the editor when you have a blank page. An editor will just only keep your page blank because you'll, be too, too, there won't be any bravery in saying, all right, we got to start with something. Right. That's when you want to uh, like literally bring in your brave selves that are like, this might look stupid. I don't care. We're starting at zero. I'm going to write down what I know
0: about say money and bravery and that kind right. of Right. Right. I also didn't realize about what you said, the noble purpose. It's to protect your vulnerability. I've never heard it said that way, but that makes so much sense. Yeah. Um, and, and also I think, you know the other thing lisa and
1: i have in common is the vision quest world and so she mentioned the loyal soldier that we have parts of ourselves that their modes are outdated as well as maybe even their goals and so when i work with people down the when they get to know their inner selves after a while they're like well what what can we do to with this self like an inner critic actually may have a job that it's totally outgrown so then what could an inner critic actually help with let's say you're starting a new business and your inner critic needs to be there to see if the the credit that you want to get is actually in your best interest, or is it in the bank's best interest? So that you really use you start to use these parts as allies, but you don't ask your inner critic to be soft and fuzzy. You have to accept it as it is, but your soft and fuzzy parts that when you get home, say from negotiating with the bank and you just need to like go to, into the bathtub and just sit in the, with the bubbles and the warmth and the candles, then that, then great. Do that then. But you don't want your bubble bath self at the, at the
0: table with the corporate leaders. Right, right. That makes so much sense. So I think it's interesting too, that in your backstory, you have this whole actress acting because so much of the success I think is mindset. Yes. And so talk a little bit about how you got into that, how that, you know, really, and it's got to have left, let, led you into this inner voice dialogue work. Absolutely.
1: So I, I, pers- I, I ended up, I'm from New York. My father was actually an actor. So, oh, and okay. so I grew up around it. My mother had her master's in drama. So it's a world I knew. But I left and did other things, and then I decided that I really wanted to pursue it. So I moved back to New York after having tried other lives themselves. And I really love it. And so, but it's hard to pursue as a living. Um, yes. And that was the part, you know. But I did, I, as you mentioned, I'm in the unions, and I had um, pictures and resumes and did the whole thing. And in fact, you're absolutely right. Um, that one thing leads to the next. So it wasn't until later that I realized all my entrepreneurial skills I learned as an actor. I used to have, I'm making it up, but something like 24 uh, employers every year, because I'd, ha- I'd work on this film, everything subcontractor. So I learned to uh, think like a freelancer. Um, I had to do my own marketing as an actress. I, and so I started to develop systems. Who had I contacted? How long had it been? What had I let them know? And then I realized that when I did move into my own business, now I'm in private practice as a creativity coach, not that I didn't have to learn things, but I had already had the mindset and I didn't expect an employer to give me goals, I'm self initiating So there's so many skills that happen. And even working with people when they're in, say, a career transition, or they've gotten the promotion they want that demands other skills, you want to look back and say, well, what, what do you already have? Like, if you know right. how to market, but you don't know how to do social media, well, great. You still you, Then you know the really important things about marketing. Now you have to learn how it works with social media or that kind of thing. So it was as an actor, though I was looking for um, something to like. I just felt stuck creatively, even as a performer, and that's when I discovered voice dialogue. I my actually my father had recently died, and I come from the, uh, you know most people with a family that had issues um, and some dysfunction. And I was reading uh, "Healing the Shame That Binds You" by John Bradshaw, which is a phenomenal book. He it was. I mean, it's still selling millions and he has passed. And at the very end, and I don't like to call it this, but he had something like 80 pages of different alternative methods. And I read about voice dialogue there for the first time. And it was like, "Ooh, whoa, what is this? And in those days, there were 800 numbers. Because of course, it was in Northern California. So I called the 1-800 number and said, you know, who's doing it in New York? My instinct was find out more and i couldn't have i mean i'm so grateful so then i started to i I, train in it and it really i use it as an audition technique i work with performers because you need to have different aspects of yourself say if you're developing a character yes say you're supposed to be a sexy hot thing but you're really much more of a librarian type and it's irrelevant how you look physically it's not about that it's about the energy so I might work with a performer who's more comfortable being the, say, the sassy, sexy librarian. But if they're going to literally um, book these gigs where they have to be sort of the, the hot one on the beach, they have to be able to access that energetically. And just as distinctly, there's different energies for auditioning. And so I used voice dialogue for myself that way. And, it was, and then you get to go back to your center, which is like, huh, I can be me with access to whatever I feel like. And so I do that a lot with performers as well. But as I studied it more, I was blown away by watching people get healed. It just, it's so expansive. It sounds simple and it is in terms of what you do. You go to one part of the room and you just communicate as one self. You come back to center, you go back to a different part of the room and communicate as a different self. But what it does is it, it expands you physiologically. It literally is transformative because your identity has shifted. You realize, I am so much more than I ever thought I was. And it's so exciting. And so um, I got more and more intrigued about how to bring that into the world. And I also used it for daring to do stand-up comedy. Wow, that's pretty brave. (laughs) So, and I'm a very physical person. So my comedy was physical. And so voice dialogue also helped with that. So if I was gonna kind of make fun of a nerdy, I don't know, very constricted self, then I could just bring it in. I didn't have to pretend or think about things. I would just physically bring in that part of myself that is like by the book. And, um, and so it just, I loved it. And, but again, the transition happened when professionally, I was just not making enough money. It just wasn't interesting, the roles I was getting. And I didn't have enough power that I like. I wanted some power by that. I mean, just empowerment. So I went back to school. I always like to say to make my checkered past, become a Renaissance woman. So, um, and it was wonderful. And then I did, I got my license and now I'm a licensed psychotherapist. I did that as part of my training for school. um, I went to Columbia University. I worked at a lot of inpatient units because I wanted to see people at their uh, most ill, A, so I could recognize it, but B, so I could I could just again, it's about having better sight. I could see when where things were heading. And I'm really grateful that I did. So wildly, Eve, I'm I'm very much working with people who are uber functional and more. But I still have really important senses that I developed in the inpatient. And talk about disowned cells People, understandably, they don't want to be crazy. They don't want to have their crazy selves. But even those are parts of us or the potentiality. by And who knows? Crazy is how you define it. Everyone, but it's usually a fear-based self. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh, I'm crazy. I don't want people to think I'm crazy. It's one of those words that are chilling.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and there's a lot of shame and guilt around uh, mental illness. Oh gosh, yes. And so... Um... You know, I think the world is starting to get better, but um, as more people like Michael Phelps and others, uh, Prince Harry, that are coming out about their own mental health issues and how they're dealing with anxiety and depression and, and different situations and stress. Um, but I do think that it's a huge problem globally um, and that healing that shame around that is, is really what holds a lot of people back from I, I... healing it. I completely
1: agree. I mean, I remember reading um, Rachel Maddow has a long history of depression. And I thought, wow, what a great role model. A, to again, have the bravery to say, hey, look, I've had this for years. And so I adjust my life accordingly. And no one would call her life a limited life. You right. know? So again, I agree. And I think it's, it's brave people like that who say, you know, don't take me at my surface. Like just because you see me on TV every night being very smart and... Engaging in a really powerful role model that includes me having depression, so I agree. Right, right.
0: So let's go back to you were talking about people who you deal with that maybe your private clients that are you know extremely functional that um, may have either limiting beliefs or fears or you know sort of an inner critic that's really not helping them. What are some of the things that you that you really kind of help them focus on to really step into their bravest, most courageous selves, or their 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 who who their soul said yes to being, like those oh, sorts of things? Because I I know, I'm sure that. that's got to be part of your work. Absolutely, who your
1: soul says yes to—that's beautifully put because it, I, it is transformational. I think the work that we do. That's, it is about soul. So a few things, first you have to identify what's there. And so using voice dialogue, people get to know their varying selves. And then what ends up happening is you more often than not, it ends up that there's some core negative belief and they're very painful. They always are like, I'm unlovable, nothing works out. I'm worthless, they're terrible. And so in there lies the stuckness. And the way I look at it is, Certain selves are actually enforcing and reinforcing this core negative belief unconsciously. So I call it like if we think of your core negative belief as a, a carpet that you're always on because you don't know it's there, that it doesn't matter if you're in a cave or lobbying on Capitol Hill for clean water. You're gonna be, you're gonna have everything going around in relationship to this core negative belief. So either it's accurate and you messed up and you're you're just a failure or you have a success, but it's only going to feel brief because then you're just going to crash onto the truth. And of course, it's not ever the truth, but it's very painful. And the truth is people have often made decisions and lived a long time as if the core negative belief was true. And so one is identifying that there are these selves that actually believe it and and do things to make you fail. That's the self-sabotage and to become conscious of that. And then I love what you said about what selves does the soul call? I call those part of your unique blueprint or the essence that you were born with that your defense mechanisms, AKA we would say selves, um, are literally keeping you, blocking you from your own essence in order to fit in. And you know, it's externally focused. Don't get rejected, don't get abandoned. But now that you're older, those cells did a great job. You're alive. You've got your life where it is now. We always thank them. But sometimes, like I said, it's time to shift. And then I ask people to define how they would imagine life would be if it was just like off the carpet. And then I try not to say anything, but words come out like liberated. I would feel radiant. And I always say, right, life will happen. You'll be disappointed. You, things won't work out. This is not about some pie in the sky, um, artsy-fartsy, airy-fairy thing. But it won't have the weight of having to basically determine if you're worth living or not. It's just right. life on life's terms, which also includes euphoria and bliss and things coming true.
0: Right, right. I love that. I love that. I love that. Yeah. And so many of us do self-sabotage and um, we stay on that carpet and we don't, you know, even envision what life would be like off of it. Correct.
1: Some people can't. I mean, I've had clients where they literally, I'd ask my version of that and they would just start weeping right. and say, I, 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 I don't have a thing. Like, like this blackness comes over me, this literal darkness, but I'm like, okay, but that's good to know. And that is certainly not your fate. You know, this is absolutely work throughable, but it obviously was too scary to think of something other than what you have at some point in your life. So that self that just put the black curtain between you and your vision uh, from your soul's point of view, they did a great job because look, you're here today. Now let's see where that, let's learn more about that part of you that put that black between you and your vision. And Let's give that part what it needs. That's the other thing. Instead of having ourselves have to take care of us, as we get more mature and more centered, more stronger and centered, we're like, what does that little one in me need? That little one that basically said, put your hand in the head in the sand. Right. Probably it just needs a hug. It needs a little time. It usually just needs what some average three or four-year-old wants, which is comfort and then
0: leave them alone so they can run around. Right. Right. Well, and so much of healing is developing that awareness. Um, So in the beginning, you might not want to look at certain things, but um, if you can get yourself comfortable and having that awareness, that's like sort of the first step so many times. I I couldn't agree more. In fact, I think it comes out of 12-step programs. They have the
1: three A's, awareness, acceptance, action. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah,
0: it's awareness has to come first. Right. And giving yourself permission. Yes. Self-permission that it is what it is, you know, whatever that thing is that you can't, you know. And also, I think one of the things I've learned over time is that so much of our beliefs happen subconsciously before we're even the age of seven. And yes. our environment that we grew up in that we may not even remember just some of the uh, generational beliefs that have been passed down to us. And until we say, we're going to do something different. Um, I've heard it called the J curve where you say, okay, this has been passed down through the generations. I'm going to go up and like, I'm going to, oh, I love disrupt that pattern. Yeah. I'm going to disrupt that pattern. So whatever it is, you know, whether it's uh, generational, you know, domestic abuse or you know poverty or whatever it is until you consciously make that decision to say that stops with me and my generation and i'm going to do something different you're going to probably pass it on to your children and your grandchildren so um but i do think that a lot of it is your how you talk to yourself is programmed through those early and you know if you had if you were abandoned or you did have issues growing up Um, not knowing where your next meal was going to come from, or if you were going to have shelter and some of those basic, you know, you think uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? And so if you, if you didn't have a stable base, then, you know, until you kind of can deal with that, you're going to always have that kind of in the back background.
1: Absolutely. And uh, I couldn't agree more. And also some of these cells literally started pre-verbal, and I tell my clients, well, that's one of the reasons it's so hard to, because it's not, a, it doesn't respond to sense yes. because it's not a verbal understanding that these very young parts of you have. They didn't, That's that was pre-developmental, right. but they still are part of us. So I, I agree completely. And again, even just the awareness of that, oh, that's my inner two-year-old that just has tantrums. Yes. Okay. Instead of, Instead of me just having a tantrum and then regretting it later because I said something I shouldn't, or I, or I said something to a person I shouldn't have, I can hold that little two-year-old inside. And sometimes I get very concrete and say, you're at work, and go to the bathroom, because most people will not stop that, right. and take your few breaths and just tell your two-year-old, you know, listen, I'm going to give you some ice cream, <laughs> <laughs> you and your favorite babysitter is going to take care of you right now, because I'm going to go be an adult. And thank you for caring. I always say, you know, thanks for wanting the best for me. But right now, we cannot have attention.
0: Right, right. So, talk a little bit about the Inner Voice Dialogue Center and the work that you're doing now, um, and what you're really, you know, offering out into the world in that in that realm. So, um, the Inner Voice Dialogue Center is in
1: New York, but there's. Voice dialogue is actually global. It's all over the world. And so part of it is just to get the word out, which we're doing today. And in fact, I'll be teaching it for the first time as part of the catalog at Omega this fall. I know. I'm very excited. Oh,
0: that's exciting.
1: Very exciting. Five-day training. Uh, Any of your listeners and you yourself are welcome to come. It's, uh, I believe, 30 continuing education credits. So they got a lot there, which is terrific. So it's it's informational like that um, mm-hmm. in terms of what we do. And like Lisa came and I did, did a level one and level two. So I do lots of trainings, and that's the basic function of that uh, to help like train the trainers type of things so that yes. they can get out. I also do a day long introduction to a lot of people because aspects of voice dialogue are people can use right away. It's a way we already think the part of you that says X and the part of you that says Y. So it's very much part of our culture. And now, like for example, alter egos have been used by varying stars. And now, again, it's part of our culture. Uh, what's your superpower? Voice dialogue would say the same. And someone's superpower in one may might be like, you know, fight loud for your rights. But in a different situation, someone's superpower might be, try to just delicately leave the situation And a person who doesn't have access to both, I'm going to fight out loud or I'm going to delicately remove myself from the situation, they suffer because there's never one way that's the right way for your whole life. And that's the other thing back to the conscious choice. Um, If you don't know how to delicately remove yourself from a situation, you're going to have a lot more conflict and you're going to carry a lot of those um, consequences that were probably technically
0: unnecessary. For example... Right. Right. Yeah. You do hear the term alter ego. And then before, before the show started, we were talking about archetypes. So people, some people use personalities, selves, so there's mm-hmm. parts,
1: like there's a lot, those are aspects. Um, Jung called it
0: complexes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you don't have to be a social worker or psychiatrist to study this. No. Uh, Cause this is just, you know, helping you through life basically. It's true, it's absolutely true.
1: And then what I've done is, because I've had many clients and we were talking about this too, like when things suddenly just pop up at you as you're in private practice from a a coach and a therapist point of view. And so I recently finished a book I've been working on for a while because this issue kept popping up, which was I I was blessed with like a lot of talented, dedicated, hardworking clients. And in different fields, different types on every level. And I would see them literally stop inside of the finish line and it didn't make sense. And when something doesn't make sense, it's gotta be emotional. Like if someone can't get to, like the reason I went and got a master's in social work is that the quickest way you can become a licensed psychotherapist in New York at the time, I think actually it's not so anymore. So if, It it would have made sense. I can't be a psychotherapist because I don't have the degree. Then that makes sense. But otherwise, like if I went and got the degree, which I did, but still then wasn't a psychotherapist, then it would be mysterious. Like what's going on? You got the degree, you got the training, what's happening? And so that's when it's, that's where I I suddenly spontaneously thought it's like the final eighth. People had done seven eighths of the work and I knew it to be true because I was their coach and therapist. I knew they weren't kidding. I was there when we brainstormed for them to call the editor and then they called the editor and then they got a, yes, send me your, send me your written scripts that have already been done. And we're going to publish them in an anthology for some, for school children, uh, for the drama teachers of the U S right, just send right. it to me. Never got sent. It broke was my it, heart. Was it fear? It was fear, absolutely. And in a way, and it was fear of transformation. Because ah. what happens to is that the first seven-eighths, they're part of your identity, whatever that is. I could have been a contender, but it's a distorted loyalty to your core negative belief. You can work really hard in relation to your core negative belief. So either it's true, say nothing works out, or for a minute you're what you most hope is that yes it can work out so you alternate between like maybe procrastinating and then spending a lot of time doing hard work and you get a lot of stuff done but the final eighth means you have a new identity you're a winner not a could have been a winner not a loser and not a victim and a lot of people are attached to being a victim and I know that's taboo to say but it's then it's not your fault and you said earlier about awareness you're absolutely right I have to be aware that maybe it's my fault that I messed up sometimes and that's painful. But if I can tolerate the truth that I was the one that didn't do X and I got a yes and I didn't follow up, I can have my emotions about it, my grief about it, but I'm not a victim, I did it. And so I think that accountability, I sometimes call it the M word, maturing, Mm -hmm. that's hard. And then letting people off the hook, like if you had a very rough upbringing, and then you end up being a success. Right. Some people just don't want to, if they feel unconsciously that they're not only functionality, but they're thriving, lets those people that genuinely hurt them in their past off the hook.
0: Right, right. So what's the title of your book? Do you have a title?
1: Yes, I call it The Final Eighth, Harnessing Your Inner Selves to Cross Your Finish Line. And it's really focused for finish line issues. You know, it's not that somebody who, you, although you can use it for anything, you could look to get started. But, I, but it really is like, wow, I have done so much work. This is for motivated people, like even your wonderful books. Like you get this far, you right. have the marketing plan, you have your things rolling you
0: have to you don't pull yes. the trick yeah you don't pull the trigger i but love it don't. i'm going to read it i'm going to read it so is it going to be out on amazon or are you? i'm not sure at the moment i'm in the okay. publishing process so okay um, i okay. have a few people looking at it
1: so it, it, but it will be published however that happens within a year absolutely okay well i'm you, super I'll excited a sneak peek, preview if you like
0: oh absolutely i'm so excited because i think you know, a lot of us stop at the finish line or we get so close and then we, we self-sabotage because we don't want to have that transformation and we'd rather stay in the victim. So I think you're on to something. I think there's a lot of people out there in that, in that category, I think, where they would rather procrastinate and just say, oh, well, it didn't really work out, Right. So I think that's, I think, and especially high performers, right. That maybe you're trying to make a pivot or like you said, become a Renaissance woman. And then you say, Oh, well, (laughs) who am I? And
1: yes,
0: you know, so, I mean,
1: to be honest, and I am, uh, it's, it was my journey. I mean, that to me Mm -hmm. is my journey. I did that and I talk about it in the book and it's very painful. Yes. But I, I got some yeses that I dropped and I have, Real sadness about that. But what it did in terms of the larger picture, it gave me an eye. So when I saw with my clients, it's only after seeing it in my clients that I
0: recognized it as fully as I did in my own self. Oh, yeah, because they're a mirror. They're They're, totally a mirror. Yeah, yeah. So uh, my finale question is always, what's the bravest thing that you've ever done and how does it inspire you today? So I'm just curious what your answer would be to that question. I alluded to it. I have to say, the bravest thing I ever did was stand up
1: comedy. It was terrifying uh, on many levels, partly because it's you, you know, even performers, you bring yourself, but with stand-up, it's your material, it's your point of view. So when no one else laughs at something you think it's funny, talk about abandonment. It's like, oh, I'm the only one in the room here. And, you know, in comedy, they use words like you killed or you died. And the stakes internally are that high. Plus it's public.
0: So when it doesn't
1: work, it's like everybody knows it. And sometimes they have one of my least favorite things. They pity you. I think I, pity is, you know, like, oh my God, poor woman. She just, her joke bombed. That is, oh, I feel so bad for her. That's one of the worst terrors I have is to be pitied. You can hate me and I won't like that, but pity Oh, that hurts.
0: (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Well, I give you a lot of credit and I give a lot of credit to anybody that does stand up comedy and sticks with it and is really good. I just watched the um, Amy Schumer um, Netflix special and I was like blown away. I was like, that girl has some courage. She does. And the other thing when you said, like, how
1: does that influence me in my life? Honestly, nothing was as hard again. Public Right. Even having to ask for a raise when I was working in the hospital system, I, I didn't like it. Those are some of my fears. But, but stand-up, just there's no comparison. Right. But anything. And so that still serves me. And So that's, you know, for, to, uh, if I uh, inspire other people to be brave, I'm not saying you have to do stand-up, but doing stuff that scares you builds muscles for life. And then you're so grateful. I'm so glad two years ago I learned to swim when I used to have a water phobia. You know, right. you just never know when those things are going to be really, you're going to be so happy you took those brave steps.
0: Right, right. Well, I just appreciate you being brave and being on the show <laughs> and sharing your knowledge of the interview voice dialogue and, oh. and, and all of the wisdom that you shared um, through the work that you're doing. Um, I just want to say thank you. Uh, We will put links in the show notes to all of your information so that people can find you online and connect with you and know what you're doing out in the world. I know you said you have a newsletter. So if they want to sign up for your newsletter, they can do that. Um, So I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you um, for what you're doing to teach people how to live life off the carpet and to visualize that, you know, what they're they're boldest biggest self can be out in the world and to really get those alter egos kind of under control um, <laughs> and moving forward so it's just been a pleasure talking to you i wish you the best of luck too at your course in omega hopefully some people will sign up for that if they're interested in this particular topic but thank you so much i can't wait to read your book i oh, really can't i think that's going to be phenomenal really oh. phenomenal
1: thank you so much and for having me it's been an absolute delight. And I look forward to listening to more of your podcasts and reading your books too.
0: Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Brave Girls with Tracy M as much as I did creating it. Each show is produced with you, the listener, in mind, as you look for inspiration and motivation from other brave souls as you pursue your desires. I'd love to hear your feedback, so please leave me a review on iTunes. I read every one. And check out my website, tracym.com, for more free resources. You can also join my list and sign up for my newsletter right from the homepage. Until next time, stay strong, believe in your dreams, and go do something brave. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Brave Girls with Tracy M and hope that you enjoyed the show. For more information about today's episode, as well as additional free resources to help you achieve greatness in your life, visit tracym.com and sign up for our mailing list. Until next time, dream big, believe in yourself and let your brilliance shine as only you can do.